Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Trax Power Sports. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to hour number two, the final one for another week here of KSL Outdoors Radio. Tim and Russ in studio, Sky Call. Uh, things picking up for you around the office? A little I'm bit, guess. yeah. It's still pretty quiet, but we already have, we have, reserves out into September. Oh, my gosh. You know, so people want to get this stuff tied down early. Yeah. Yeah, so that never hurts to reserve, you know. Navidomskis is watching the snowfall, I think, uh, from the condo up there in Park City today, planning another weekend of skiing. This yes, will, I am. This will get you past the 60-day mark, won't it? Today is 60. Six oh, zero wow. today. 60 days today. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to ski your age, probably 63, before yeah. the season is done, right? I also need a um, uh, I need a sat phone, Tim. I mean Tim Russ, yeah. because Finn drew out on one of the floats. We're floating the middle fork of oh, the snake. Nice. Yeah, I, so, I I knew about that, but how rare is that? Well, they apply every year. This is the first time we got that one. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be a nice family outing. Oh, did, did I say the snake? I meant the salmon. The salmon. I, I assumed yeah. the salmon I'm when you old. said middle fork. Yeah, middle fork of the, of the salmon. We, we send so many phones up there that uh, it's MF and, you know, we abbreviate. You yeah. Know, and we don't even have to say salmon. If you say middle fork, everybody knows it's salmon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Should be a great year to be up there, too, with the water situation for sure. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, in uh, just a little bit, we'll be checking in with Bob and Mark. We'll find out about uh, their road tripping that's going to take us to the very south end of the state. Jared Winkler will join us from Brighton. They were one of the resorts uh, talking this week and announcing that they're going to extend their season. So we'll tell you more about what to plan there. And then Roger Eggett will wrap up with us, uh, Bear River Lodge. You know, the other thing I meant to mention in our news of the week, and I forgot because we were tied up with so much ski information this week, that uh, Arches has again announced that they are going to have a reservation system. They think it worked out well enough, and this may become a permanent thing to try and avoid that long line that actually extends all the way out to the main road. Runs into downtown. It does, into downtown Moab, which causes all kinds of other problems. Um, And then at a certain point, they don't let anybody in until somebody comes out, which could be ours. Anyway, there's going to be a reservation system. So if you're thinking about uh, spending a day or a weekend or any time this summer 
in Arches National Park. You may start checking on that now. I don't know how far in advance they actually will let you make your reservations, but you're going to need them. You'll have an hour window when you enter the park, and then you can stay in the park as long as you'd like to. So uh, we'll tell you more about that as we get closer to it. Wanted to uh, shift gears here and talk with Brad Hunt, who is with the uh, Hardware Wildlife Management Area. He's the manager up there and comes on with us sometimes when we're talking about the opportunities to go up and see the elk. Brad, I'm guessing all the elk have left yet or no? <laughs> no, there's still like 600 on the meadow, and uh, we're we're going to be feeding through the end of this week still. To uh, we, we just kept feeding to keep them off of the deer feed stations where we've been feeding deer this winter. Wow. Is that normal? Or is this going to be later than usual or what? Yeah, normally we stop about the second weekend in February. Holy but that's cow. about when we were, yeah, we were gearing up to uh, feed deer that were struggling due to the winter. And so um, we decided, you know, if we cut those elk loose, they're just going to move uh, to the valley and there's a good chance they'll push those deer off those feed stations so we kept feeding elk at hardware to keep those elk there and uh let the deer have the feed that we we're putting out for them that's crazy so that's going to be an extra six to seven weeks of uh feeding that you normally don't do do you fear at any time that that will change their habits if they come to expect that um, it's possible, and that's one of the many reasons why we discourage the public from, you know, feeding in their backyard because they do learn where they um, have gotten food before in the winter, and they they can come back. Um, but they've been coming to hardware for over 70 years now, and I don't know that uh, the duration is going to affect them that much. It's just a place they know they can get feed when there's snow on the ground. Yeah. Well, with all the snow that's been falling around the state, my guess is they're happy to have food delivered. (laughs) You you are the, uh, what what is it, the uh, DoorDash of elk feeding right now, (laughs) which I'm sure. That's correct. I'm sure they're appreciative of. All right. uh, There's some major camping changes that are coming to the wildlife management area. We wanted to talk about them. For those that aren't all that familiar with Hardware Ranch, it's about 14,000 or 1,400, no, 14,000 acres, right? up, yep. the, up there, located at the top of Black, uh, Blacksmith Fort Canyon, east of Hiram. What are the changes coming and the reasons for them? So the big changes regarding hunting uh, revolve around the purpose of a WMA, right? A WMA, or wildlife management area, um, was though they were purchased for a couple of specific reasons. One being to protect wildlife habitat so that populations can grow and to give the public a place to hunt and fish. And so we're trying to get back to the original intent with which those uh, properties were uh, purchased. And so camping camping as a form of recreation is not necessarily consistent with providing quality habitat and providing places to hunt and fish. So... Um, we do realize that their camping does occur in conjunction sometimes with hunting and fishing, and that is permitted. But we have seen a large uptick in the last especially five years of just straight recreational camping. And we do have areas, especially it seems like it. Uh, we see camping occurring earlier and earlier in the spring. And so um, 
the soils are sensitive. They're soft in certain areas. They stay soft longer in other areas and certain than, you know, they stay, they stay softer longer in some areas than others. Yeah. And so as a way to mitigate some of the damage that's occurring, because once, you know, we get ruts and, and things through some of these uh, riparian meadows, now we've opened spaces where invasive and noxious weeds can come in. We've opened places where uh, erosion can occur in greater occurrences than, than what would normally take place. And so our management plan, <clears throat> which we uh, follow and which dictates um, our actions, has us reducing camping on the WMA at a minimum 25% over the life of the plan. And some of those strategies that we identified in that plan were to reduce or eliminate some of the campsites and uh, establish a camping season. So that's uh, all part of what's um, driving these changes. Yeah, I was looking at the Division of Wildlife Resources Facebook page, and I know you've already taken some incoming blasts on this uh, because there are people that like to go up there early in the season. But what specifically are the changes then? Fewer uh, places to camp and then waiting till when to open up the camping season? Yeah, so the camping season, um, we most of our areas are, are lower in elevation, and so they dry out uh, sooner. And so our camping season for those lower sites b- begins the Friday before Memorial Day. So this year I think that's May 26th. And then those designated sites are open until December 31st. And so then they're, they're just closed for the first, you know, five months of the year. Yeah. While the, there's snow on the ground and we go through the spring rains and then let everything dry out. We have one site in particular that is higher in elevation. And there's a uh, pretty good ephemeral stream that runs through there and beaver complex and riparian meadow. And so that area called hardware flats we're going to keep it closed to camping till august 1st um it's a popular hunting spot and so it'll open up along with a couple sites along the river along the highway there in the blacksmith fort canyon for the hunting season to accommodate more hunters but we're so we put in this camping season and then we've designated specific areas we want people to camp in and we've been pretty selective about those spots we feel they're sustain the impact from uh, camp the camping that will take place. Well, this this year would be a good test for that because uh, with all the precipitation, it's going to be a while before a lot of those areas will actually dry up. And you could be doing people a favor because they could put their entire camp together and start pulling a trailer in and find out that they just don't have access or they get bogged down in the mud or yeah, something else. Uh, but if they want more information, you can go to the Hardware Wildlife Management Education Center. Uh, call them, actually, at uh, 435-753-6206, or just visit the DWR website itself at wildlife.utah.gov for more information. I, I know that your mandate as a wildlife management area is to take care of the animals, and that that's the rub with some people is they just they see you now as the gate to their camping spot. Rather than uh, worrying about the fish and the wildlife, and it couldn't be farther from what you're supposed to be looking at. Yeah, that that's very true, Tim. Brad, we appreciate your time. We uh, thank you for the work you do uh, year round, and thanks again for joining us this morning. Hey, you bet. Thanks for having us. 
That is Brad Hunt from the uh, Hardware Ranch, the Wildlife Management Unit up there. He's the manager. Got to take a quick break. We'll do a little road trip. And when we come back, Bob and Mark set to check in and take us down to the Canab area here. So stay with us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It is time for us to do a little road trip in here with uh, Bob and Mark, Bob Grove, Mark Wade. Join us next as we hit the road. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. All right, Russell, so I get this email uh, from Mark that says we're going to talk about the bottom of Utah. The bottom. The, the bottom bare of bottom of yeah. Utah. No butt jokes in the I'm next not, five That minutes. was not a butt joke. <laughs> right. uh, welcome in, guys. Hey, Mark. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, explain to me the bottom of Utah exactly. Well, we're we're just talking about that long straight line, the border between Utah and Arizona. Mm-hmm. All right. So basically, we're talking about uh, Mexican hat to Canab here. Uh, Bob Grove is also with us. Uh, he'll chime in in a second. Welcome, Bob. Hey, thanks. Uh, good to be back. It's been a whole week. It's been a whole week. Uh, Mark, why don't you start with Mexican hat here? I'll do it. You know, just south of, uh, you know, I was out last week. We talked last week a little bit about the Hole in the Rock expedition. Yeah. And I had the opportunity, I had the opportunity to kind of circle south after that, down on a route that Bob's probably done a hundred times, but uh, down towards Valley of the Gods from Bluff and towards Mexican hat, Utah. Mexican hat gets its name from this, this unique shaped rock formation that's in, in just north yeah. of the town. And of course it's close to um, the border of Utah, Arizona. The, there, there are some formations. There's a mountain formation down there by this rock formation where Me- Mexican hat, the hat formation is. And in that formation, those would they'll call them Chevron formations. They're, they're wedge shaped formations in this side of the hill. Mm-hmm. If you look closely and you know where to look, You'll see a lady, a bathing beauty, sitting back enjoying catching some sun rays and, and just the colored hills that are beautiful. I just – and you sent the picture so I could take a look at it, so we could take a look at it. It took me a second there, uh, but I guess I passed the psychological test, doctor, because I actually did Must see it. <laughs> it takes a minute to, to see it, but once you see it, you see it every time you pass by, and it's very interesting there on the side. Yeah. When I, you when – you, Go ahead. Well, I, I think what's interesting also is is as you come down that narrow canyon, as you come into Mexican Hat, and you're wondering to yourself, why in the world would they call it Mexican Hat? And then, boom, you see it. And you go, oh, yeah, that's obvious. <laughs> no yeah. mistake. Yeah. 
and you drive you drive about 180 degrees about around that rock formation, right. and and you see it at every point. It's easy to get into. You can hike right up to it, mm. take pictures of it. It's really pretty impressive. And then you cross the San Juan River there, and you're going to head kind of southwest down towards Monument Valley, and that's on the Navajo Nation. Yeah, hang and on. I got a little something for you, Monument Valley. My mom always said, you got to put the past behind you before you can move on. And I think that's what my running was all about. (laughs) Bob, you've actually used this in your tours, I think. Uh, And if people hadn't seen the movie, they probably thought you were crazy when you pulled the stunt you usually do. Yeah, they do give me a cross-eyed look. I'm heading north from there, so they don't see it. And I pull off to the side right where the point is, and I stop and... They look at me and I go, I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. (laughs) Yeah. And they're looking at me like, what? And I said, turn around and take a look. (laughs) This has become quite an attraction, though, hasn't it, Mark? It has, you know, because of that movie, that straight line, that straight road. Everyone's probably seen a picture of it from one time or another. But social media has made it even more pronounced. As I was driving through there the other day, there were, 10 vehicles pulled off the side of the road and they're all mimicking the Forrest Gump scene where they're trying to run down the road and be Forrest Gump. That's, so. that's got to uh, drive the, uh, the police officers that <laughs> keep an eye on that area nuts when people are getting out on the road and wanting to run for a photo. Bob, uh, you've had some experiences at uh, Navajo National Park down that way too. Yeah, this is this area is mostly overlooked on the Highway 160. You know, we're usually heading from Page to Monument Valley, yeah. and uh, it's it's um, before Kayenta, and it's about a nine mile drive off of 160 North, and to get into the Navajo National Monument, there are three cliff dwellings there uh, that are worth seeing. It's just a nice little side trip. Uh, you know, see, I'm trying to remember the names of the cliff dwellings because they're a little tricky. Oh, Betatikin, something like that. Hmm. Keep still an inscription house. But they're easy hikes, less than two miles. Definitely worth the side trip. I would recommend it if you're heading that way or either direction between Monument Valley and Page. Yeah, red sandstone formations, cliff dwellings, and the canyons. And then Horseshoe Bend is always one that you see a lot of people taking photos of. Yeah, this, this, you know, I have a picture of my wife on the trail back in 2014. Is this only person on the trail? Oh, wow. Only person on the trail. Now it's one of the most popular attractions yeah. in Arizona, and there's millions that go to see it every year. I have a, it's a I thousand have a, feet above the river. I have a picture of Tim hanging off the side of that. I'm trying to get the right picture. Dangerous. <laughs> I couldn't believe. I had to get the right shot. Russ, like, Russ would not you, get even close to you, the edge of that thing. I think I held on to one of your legs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> had to get the right yeah. shot. Anybody could get that shot, just stand and shoot, you know? What's the note on toadstools here? Toadstools. Well, well toadstools is uh, west of Big Water, heading yeah. towards Kanab. Yeah. And it's going to be near a big bend that you take in the road on Highway 89. And it's a, a hike of about 1.8 miles round trip. It goes to formations that are these hoodoo-like formations with a square rock or flat rock on top, similar to Mexican hat. So that's just a nice little hike that's just off the side of the road on 89 heading out to Kanab. All right. Mark, I'm going to guess uh, a lot of this, if not all of it, is documented on your uh, blog site, Road Tripping with Bob and Mark, right? That's right, complete with the uh, Forrest Gump 
melody. <laughs> so if you want to take that in, always a pleasure to have you guys on. And one of these days when I can free up more time, we're going to do this in person at various places around the state. And I look forward to it. Promises, promises. I know. Give me time. Give me time. Road tripping with Bob and Mark.com. Mark Wade, uh, Bob Grove. Thank you both. You bet. Thank you. We'll take another break, and uh, when we come back, we'll do a little snow day. Jared Winkler checks in from Brighton. They just extended their season again. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.